Hello, Princeton Community Church and friends. Uh, this is a re-recording of a message that we had some technical difficulties with uh, getting recorded yesterday. Uh, so the content and the and the message will be very similar uh, to yesterday, but the character will be a, l- a little bit different as this is me uh, in my office on a Monday as opposed to preaching to our church, the gathering of our community on a Sunday morning. So we're we'll working in Genesis 2 today, but before we get there, I just want you to picture for a moment the kinds of, of Christians that you've seen uh, depicted maybe on a, on a fictional TV show. What are the characteristics that usually define those people? Uh, are, are they usually depicted as, as moralistic or judgmental or hypocritical? You know, oftentimes there's, there's, there's a, a character that's committed to saving themselves until marriage. And, and that commitment that uh, is seen as something to be uh, is seen as something kind of simplistic and outdated. Uh, it's seen as a plot device to be overcome. Uh, other times, uh, Christians are seen as overly judgmental. That that somehow God gives them this this right um, to 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 look at the sin in everybody else's life. But think about the kinds of Christians that you've seen depicted. And, and I think the temptation is. Uh, to get a, a, a little upset about this. Now, my personal favorite depiction of a Christian on TV right now is from a, a TV show called The Middle. And, and there's this guy named Reverend Tim Tom. Now, he, he, he basically he comes into uh, whatever scene, he, he, he comes into the middle of some teenage dilemma, uh, some dramatic uh, thing that's going on, uh, usually in the life of a girl named uh, Sue Heck. And Reverend Tim Tom shows up with his acoustic guitar, now, as a youth pastor, I resent, I resent the implication that all youth pastors play acoustic guitar. But he shows up with his acoustic guitar, and he always has a song ready for the situation. So uh, during the Halloween episode, he sings a song called Jesus is the Best Ghost, uh, things like that. Uh, but Reverend Tim Tom has this sunny outlook on life. He understands how hard it is to be a teen, how hard it is to try to fit in, and he's always got a song ready for it. Uh, Reverend Tim Tom is definitely uh, painted in, in a very simplistic light. And, and I think as we look at the, the, the different caricatures of Christians, uh, the temptation would be to get a little upset about this. I think if we looked at our own lives, looked at the people that we're in community with, we're like, well, the Christians that I know aren't like that at all. Like that's, that's got to be, um, that, that's definitely not an accurate representation of who we are. But I wonder sometimes, uh, in the midst of our own uh, struggling with that depiction, I wonder uh, if as a church as a whole, sort of a, a universal church, how, how often we've shown them something differently. You see, I don't think that, that the, the creators of these TV shows came up with these, these simplistic, stereotypical images on their own. I think they're responding to something that they've been shown. I think they're responding to the life of, of a, a Christian, somebody that they have interacted with. Uh, now, they, they, they may be, uh, they're engaging in irony or something, uh, maybe making a statement, so they're going to take it to a level of caricature. But I wonder sometimes if we in our own individual lives are showing them something different. You see, often the way that we tell the story of God with His people is not a story at all. It's, it's as if God has, has done this arbitrary thing and we're waiting on Him to rescue us and to take us away to some disembodied world. But, but Genesis uh, pushes so strongly against that. 
And so today we're going to be working in Genesis chapter 2. And, and my hope, my hope as we explore uh, this text is that we begin to see that God is, is, is uh, calling us uh, to participate with Him in beautiful and, and amazing ways in our lives right here, right now. He's inviting us into something bigger. Um, we're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Genesis. We're going to read here. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Now, and so the first thing that we're given is, is a setting, is a place for action to take place. The Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So we have uh, our first hint at what will become a, a character, somebody doing the action. But what we'll begin to see as the as Genesis two plays out is that uh, at the after the uh, beautiful creation poem that occupies Genesis one, as God begins to unveil His purposes for His creation, uh, is that Genesis two contains all the elements of a story. Uh, there's conflict. There's dialogue. There's plot. Uh, th- there's a setting. Uh, there's things that are happening that are that are more than just uh, rules and regulations to be adhered to. God is inviting us into something bigger. And when we see all the characteristics of the story, we have to understand that perhaps God is in fact writing a story. Now verse 9 is going to give us a little bit more about the setting. It says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I think we we often uh, skip over this passage and fail to see the beauty and the details. Now, it says that the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. And then it identifies two different subsets of trees. It says trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. I think the part that we understand is, is, the, is the tree that's, that's there for provision, the tree that has a purpose. Uh, it keeps us alive. It sustains us. These trees that are good for food, of course we need those kinds of things. But the tree that is often neglected is, is, the, is the tree that's listed with, with equal description here in verse 9. It says, the trees that were pleasing to the eye. Uh, perhaps what God is saying from the very beginning is that our need for beauty, our need for something that pulls us outside of ourselves and points us towards something transcendent, towards something bigger, is just as great as our need for food. Uh, my, my daughter is, is almost four weeks old. And, and one of the things that I've, I've uh, realized about her very early on is that she understands her needs. She understands that she needs food. She knows when she wants it, and she will let uh, her mother and I know about it. But as she grows, as she matures, as she learns, as she begins to appreciate the world, she's going to see that there is a longing in her for beauty. Uh, Perhaps our need for beauty, says verse 9, is just as pressing as our need for food. Uh, Dostoevsky said it this way, that beauty will save the world. Perhaps God knew something about the way that he wired us when he put these different kinds of trees in the garden. We're going to skip down to verse 15. Uh, verses 10 through 14 have some beautiful uh, just information about the character of the world that God made that we, maybe we can explore at another time. But it says in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This, this is one of the most fundamental passages in all of the Bible. It's one of the most pivotal and important passages. It sets the destiny of humankind. But so often we only read, we only uh, grasp a small portion of this passage. And now, now when I read that passage, I want you to ask yourself, which part of it do you remember? Which part of it did you hear? Did, did you hear the purpose? Did you hear the permission that God granted uh, His creation? Or did you hear the prohibition? Did you hear saying God, did you hear God saying, don't do that? See, often we read Genesis 2, 15 through 17. We skip ahead to the part where God says, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. See, we think the point is that God is, is, is trying to uh, withhold something from us. But what we do when we do that is we fail to see the full scope of, of what God is doing in creating humanity. We, si- we fail to see the full scope of what God is calling us to be. Verse 15, we, we move from setting the setting of the garden to character development. Uh, we, we miss much of this passage. Uh, but, but, but the first thing that God gives his creation to do is to work. Now, I know many of us feel like that work must be a, a part of the fall, especially uh, w- the setting that we're given as a garden. I mean, this is yard work. I mean, yard work has to be a product of, of sinful, broken humanity, right? But not, not here in God's uh, ordering of the world here in verse 15. In verse 15, a, a purpose, something to do is the first thing that we are given. Now, I, I would say that most of us don't feel like the 9 to 5 versions of ourselves have very much to do with God. But I would also hope to press against that a little bit and encourage us. It, it's If we fail to see the holiness uh, the beauty of what God is doing in, in, in the vocations that he's called to or in the ways that we spend the majority of our days, I don't think it's because those connections aren't there. I think it's because we're not looking. I, I think we don't see our world in light of Genesis two fifteen. But look, the garden is a place of provision. There's, there's trees that are good for food. The, the, the garden is a place of, of creativity. Uh, the, there's trees that are pleasing to the eye, but the garden is a place of activity. He puts the man there to work. Um, God has created this world that he has called good and very good. And he's invited uh, humanity, his partners, to be stewards of that world. Now what if, what if you began to see your job or, or the way that you spend the majority of your days, whether that's in school, whether that's being a parent, what if you began to see uh, those things as engagement with God's good world? What if you began to see that as stewarding? Those of you who are active in business, um, uh, what a beautiful picture of, of, of ordering God's world. Uh, the, the Business done with integrity and honor, the fair exchange of goods and services, making sure that everybody has enough. I, I think this is such a picture of the way that God is inviting us uh, to deal with his world. Those of you who, who, um, who do yard work, who, who organize the garden, such an accurate picture of what God is describing here. Those of you who can build things, 
Like, what an amazing reflection of our Creator. Uh, uh, the fact that you can take a raw materials and, and, and sculpt or, or, or make or uh, construct something uh, that is useful or is, is just really nice to look at. Uh, a couple of years ago for, for Valentine's Day, I made these shelves for my wife. Uh, there's these bookshelves. They're probably about eight feet tall. And, and, and these bookshelves are, are, are made out of two-by-fours and various pieces of wood. Um, but, but the problem is I am not handy at all. So, so these bookshelves are in the, in the study in our house, and they stand a little bit crookedly. Uh, they, there's some things about them. There's two of them, and there's things about them that aren't symmetrical at all. But I tell you what, I am so proud of these bookshelves that I made. Uh, because I made them. I, I, I set out my sweat and my time uh, to construct them. I love them like they're my children. Now, the, the people that can make things, you reflect God's image in the world. Uh, those of you guys who, who uh, are in the field of science, participating with God and bringing wholeness and exploring uh, the mysteries and the wonder of creation and seeing the way that God is ordering the world, and trying to bring uh, the human body or, or the way that we interact with creation back to wholeness. It's a beautiful picture of what God is inviting us to do in stewarding His world. Those of you who may be a stay-at-home mom or dad, uh, I, you know, again, my wife uh, and I just had our first child. And, and I've seen my wife as she's been staying at home uh, with our daughter for the last couple of weeks. I've seen such an amazing reflection of Christ's uh, just giving his all uh, for us in my wife. Uh, just the way that every every moment, every uh, ounce of her energy is spent taking care and providing for our daughter. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So w- what if you began to see your job, your vocation, the things that you do as holy engagement with God's good world, as, as part of the purpose that you were here for? There was a guy named Brother Lawrence uh, who was a monk in a in a uh, French monastery? Uh, he he came to the, to the monastery and was given a job as as a cook and kind of a, a a janitor. He would clean up after some of the other monks. But what he began to realize early on is that God was so present in every uh, every one of his activities. He he wanted to invite God into every moment of his life. Uh, he says in his book, uh, the, the Practice of the Presence of God, he says, It is not needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying in the pan for love of Him. And that done, if there was nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself and worship before Him, who has given me grace to work. Afterwards I rise, happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Brother Lawrence understood what it was to exist in community with God in, in fulfilling his purposes for the world, no matter how great, no matter how small. And one of the beautiful things about Brother Lawrence is the fact that he was a, a in obscurity in some French monastery. He would write these journals, and, and still today people are reading his interactions with God, his approach to work. It's a beautiful picture of, of what it means to partner with God, to, to participate in light of Genesis 2.15. Uh, uh, one of the other uh, ways I've seen this play out in my life is my own father. Uh, my father is, is a great man, uh, so much integrity, uh, so much hard work. He taught me how to be a hardworking uh, man. Uh, one of the jobs that he had for a while was, was 
working in the kitchen of a nursing home. And his job was to plan out the meals. And you want to talk about uh, somebody who gets complained to frequently. It's somebody who's planning out the meals in a nursing home. You know, these people are close to the end. They want to eat what they want to eat, right? And so my father was responsible for this. And, and I, I had an idea of what he did. I, I don't feel like I, I fully understood the scope of it. But when we would go visit him, and I saw the way uh, that, he, uh, that he gave uh, such importance and such integrity to every person that he met. I saw the way that he uh, called people by names. And then I, I began to hear stories about him. Uh, some of his coworkers would tell me that my father uh, would go and sit with people that, that had nobody to visit them. That my father had sat at the bedside of people who, who had breathed their last breath. Uh, uh, and I saw that, that my dad's job, yeah, it may not have been uh, Christian, whatever that means in nature, but man, he was, he was doing work with God every day that he got up and he went to work. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God and how anything can be redeemed for God's purposes. So verse 15 says that God put us in the garden. He places us in his world to work. And what if we begin to see the moments of our days as engagement with God? Verse 16 is going to get at how do we do this? How do we engage with God's world? It says in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. See, we miss this so much when it comes to our relationship with God, what it means uh, to be in community with God. God is inviting us into freedom. He's inviting us into freedom relationally. He's inviting us into freedom creative, uh, creatively. Look, he says, uh, I'm putting you in the garden to work it. But he doesn't, he doesn't go down a laundry list of how that has to happen. No, he's inviting us to, to explore and to play in the midst of God's good creation. We are free. Now think about it relationally. We don't have to be something other than what God has made us to be. We are free in His presence. I mean, we can all think about those relationships where we know that we don't have to be anything other uh, than, than, than what we are. We don't have to try to be something smarter or, or, or better or more put together. The kinds of people we don't have to clean up our house when they come over. And we are free in relationship with our Father. God is inviting us into freedom. And so in verse 15, we see purpose we see that God is inviting us to partner with them. In verse 16, we see permission. We see freedom relationally, creatively. This is, these are the first two things that God gives humanity to do. We haven't reached uh, verse 17. We haven't reached the prohibition yet. And, and so I wonder why so often we live like God uh, has come down with a bunch of arbitrary rules that we are to follow. When, when the first things that he gives us are freedom and purpose. God is inviting us into something bigger. And only in verse 17 do we reach the prohibition. Look at what it says. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, uh, God is not uh, here threatening, threatening humanity, saying, Okay, I've given you these great things. Now, if you, if you don't do what I ask you to do, I'm going to kill you. God is not holding some uh, ominous threat over, over the uh, scope of humanity. No. What he's doing is he's drawing boundaries. He's saying, look, if you live in line of these, uh, with these boundaries, if you live in line of my good creation and my purposes and my freedom, then you will have life and life to the full. But if you step outside of those boundaries, if you choose something else, what you are choosing is not life at all. It is death. 
It's like, it's like choosing to step off a cliff. Gravity is not a punishment in that situation. Gravity is present. Uh, we, we choose something uh, less than life. And so God is drawing uh, the boundaries for humanity. He's saying only, only in light of this holy trinity of, of purpose, of permission, of prohibition, can you live in my good world. Only in light of these things do you live fully as fully human. Now, uh, all these things are given to us, but still uh, the, the, the purpose uh, for humanity is not complete. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now you see this is a, a, a beautiful thing. It's like, it's like a, a father inviting his son to help him in the garage. He may not need his help, but he, he wants to partner with him. He wants to invite him. And so God says to Adam, oh, let's, let's name creation. So you know, God brings him uh, one creature, and Adam says, oh, elephant. And God's like, oh, brilliant, elephant. And, and, and God brings Adam another creature, and he says, uh, what do you want to call this one? And he says, dog. And it's like, oh, yes, it's a dog. And then God brings him another creature. And Adam says, cat. And God says, I didn't make that. (laughs) No, God is inviting uh, his humanity to partner with him. It says in verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And, and Just a little tip about when you're reading your Bible, when you see these, these phrases as you're following along in Genesis 2 that are indented, oftentimes those are indicating that, that we are no longer reading prose, that we are reading poetry. And so we see this indented phrase. And so God creates a helper. He creates uh, an other for, for uh, Adam to pour out his love to. And this, this says to me that we can only live in light of God's purposes. We can only live fully as God's humanity uh, when we're doing it in community. And as God uh, finishes, as he creates the pinnacle of all creation, woman, look at what Adam does. Uh, look at the, how the verses are set off in verse 23. It says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Uh, he engages in poetry. He sings. He says, God, you did well. This is something beautiful that you have made. Thank you, Lord. Uh, he, he is, his soul is lifted to the Lord because he is so uh, enthralled with what God has done. And so we see uh, throughout the course of Genesis 2 that, that God is doing something that is so far beyond uh, moralistic uh, duties or, or somehow saying, uh, here's the rules, now follow them. He's inviting us into something beautiful. And, and in verse 23, Adam is singing. And as we look in verse 25, we have a picture of what God intended for creation. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They, they were completely themselves. There was nothing uh, extraneous, nothing that they weren't born with there. They're completely naked in front of each other, in front of God, in front of creation. And there was wholeness. 
Uh, they are living in light of God's purpose, in light of His permission, in light of His prohibition, and there is peace. This is shalom. Walter Brueggemann says shalom is to be communally in sync with the purposes of God. Verse 25, we see a picture of the wholeness that God wants to offer us. Complete freedom, a complete absence of shame, complete peace for creation, for relationships, for for humanity and God. This is the beauty of God's world. In chapter 3, uh, we're going to wade into, beca- not to see uh, that everything is, is now broken, but to see uh, the, the extent to which things unravel. We see God's creation trade the call of humanity for something less. We're going to read in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, I want you to understand what the serpent's doing here. He's not really uh, engaging in any creative activity. He's only mostly saying what God said. He's only mostly saying uh, the thing that God had commanded the man and the woman. The serpent is doing uh, some creative proof texting here. Um, now, uh, this is something that should give us pause as we use uh, the Bible uh, to, to define our lives. We have to be careful to read context. The serpent strips this, uh, this saying of God out of its context and, and thus can make it say whatever he really wants it to say. Uh, there's a lot of things that we could, we could kind of uh, make God say from the Bible. And so we have to understand that uh, context uh, in regards to the, the scriptures is so vital, is so important. And, and really, uh, the first temptation is, is done by some creative proof texting. Uh, the fruit, uh, the serpent introduces the fruit not as a means to exist in God's good world, but a means to circumvent God altogether. Uh, this is this is at the heart of all of our all of our sin, this idolatry using the created order to replace God. Now, uh, what happens here is not a a simple cause and effect explanation of how sin and death come into the world. But, but uh, what we have to see here is that living within the boundaries that God had set up is not the only thing that the man and woman failed to do. See, often we, we, we read uh, chapter 2, verse 17. We think that all God is offering is prohibition. All he's offering are rules. And then we see in Genesis 3, Genesis 3, all the man and the woman have done is break the rules. But what they've done is so much more uh, profound than that. Uh, look at, uh, let's go on in verse uh, 2. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, the fruit become a means of exploiting the garden, not a means of tending it. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then look at what it says in verse 7. Remember, remembering what it said in verse uh, 25 of chapter 2. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
You see, the sin that they have engaged in has unraveled the world. We had wholeness in verse 25. They were uh, both naked and they felt no shame. They were living in light of God's purpose, His permission, His prohibition. And now they have circumvented what God was wanting to do in the world. And we see uh, how quickly, how quickly the whole situation devolves back into chaos. It says, in the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. Shalom has been undone. Creation has been undone. Relationship between God and, as we're going to see, uh, between humanity has been undone. And look at what they begin to do with the things that God has created. The second part of verse 7, it says, So they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. These things that they were supposed to be uh, using to tend the garden are now being used to cover their own shame. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know, my, my daughter, she's four w- weeks old. She she doesn't quite recognize me yet. I know the day's coming when she sees me walk in the room and she's excited. And I can't wait for that day. But I also can't imagine how heartbreaking this must have been for God. He's, he's coming close as he does. He wants to be near. He wants to be close to his, his beloved creation. He's, he's walking in the cool of the garden, expecting his creation to come close to him. And what he finds is that the, the man and the woman are hiding. How heartbreaking this must have been for God. How heartbreaking of a moment realizing what has happened. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, I don't think God has, has trouble finding little naked people running around his garden. I think, I think he's quite capable of that. But the question could be asked in this way. You, you, you took what I, I said not to take. You've, you've eaten what I said not to eat. Where, where did that get you? And all, all the shalom, the peace is undone. You see, sin, sin is not merely disobeying a, a, an isolated rule that God has set up. Sin is failing to be fully human. Uh, as we saw, that yes, the man and the woman, they disobeyed. But look at what else they did. They're sewing uh, fig leaves together, making coverings for themselves. Instead of engaging in their purpose to tend the garden, now they are, 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 are engaging in the purpose of, of covering their shame. Instead of living in freedom, you are free to eat from any, uh, any uh, tree in the garden. Instead of living in freedom and relationship with God and to one another, they are hiding. Sin fractures community. It, it, it fractures community with God, community with creation, community with one another. Sin trades the call of the Creator to live freely in God's good world, partnering with God and justice and beauty for the self-centered, all-consuming anxiety of covering our own shame. Sin has undone the shalom of the world, but it has not undone the faithfulness of the Creator. This is the beauty of, of this passage, and we're going to look uh, in, in verse 15, uh, just a, a little uh, point towards the future. It says, I will put enmity between you as he talks to the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, many scholars believe that this, um, this uh, is a prophetic utterance, uh, talking about uh, the time when Jesus will come. Uh, and look at what God does in verse 21. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam, 
and his wife, and he clothed them. What, what were they making in verse 7? What were they trying to do to cover their own shame? They were making pathetic, pathetic little coverings of figs and leaves. But even in the midst of, of our rebellion, even in the midst of our refusing to be fully human, God is faithful. He is doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. He makes them close. See, when we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, when we think about what Jesus accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, oftentimes we stop short here. We think think of uh, only of the atoning sacrifice, but what Jesus accomplished, what he inaugurates, is even better than that. Because just as the, the man and the woman did not only disobey God, but they also traded their freedom and their purpose uh, for something smaller, Jesus lives out fully what it means to be human. He lives fully in communion with God, with humanity. He lives fully in light of God's purpose, His permission, and His prohibition. He lives fully, obediently unto death, and He is vindicated by His resurrection and inaugurates a new day and a new creation. Paul will say it exactly that way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anyone, if any one of us is in Christ, they are a new creation. Now the Gospels go out of their way to point out the fact that Jesus inaugurates a new day. Uh, Matthew uh, does not begin uh, his, uh, his description of the risen Jesus um, with some sort of soliloquy on, on the forgiveness of sins. Uh, the risen Jesus does not appear to the disciples and say that all your sins are forgiven. The first thing he does is much like God in Genesis 2. He says, you are to go. Go and make disciples of all nations because of what you've seen. This is your purpose. Uh, John is especially awesome in his illustration of what Jesus does in beginning a new creation. Mary Magdalene mistakes Jesus, the risen, resurrected Jesus, as she's looking for him at the tomb for none other than the gardener. Hint, hint, Genesis 2. Hear the echoes. Jesus breathes on his disciples and instructs them to receive his spirit, much like God breathes on his creation as he molds them from dust and clay. And he says to his disciples in John's resurrection narrative, he says, peace be with you. Wholeness, shalom. Peace, not just the absence of guilt. Peace, the wholeness, the the, the goal of all creation. It is finished in God's good world. You see, the gospel, just like the garden, is so much bigger and better than just you are forgiven of your sins. The gospel is announcing a new life of purpose, freedom, and community beginning here and now. Now, I think this works at a couple levels for us. First, guys, if, if there, there are those of us among us here who, who are trying to, to cover our own shame, who are trying to hide from God, who are trying to, to sew together pathetic little clothes of, of figs and leaves, God is saying, you don't have to do that anymore. We have to stop trying to deal with our own shame. Stop trying to deal uh, with the figs and the leaves and understand that God is inviting us to come close to Him again. Isaiah 61 says that He will clothe us with His righteousness. Paul talks in Colossians about being clothed with Christ to put Him on. Guys, God is inviting us close. If there are sins in your life, if there are ways that you have fallen short of what it means to be fully human, you don't have to strive anymore. Jesus has accomplished what it means to be human. We live in light of what He has done. 
And so, man, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than being sick and refusing to go to the doctor. And so, so often we, we sin and we fall short and we run from the very thing that can heal us, that can make us whole. We're hiding from God and he's inviting us close. So the first level, guys, we have to stop trying to deal with our own shame. We have to understand that the only way to restore uh, the wholeness of creation, the wholeness of community with God and with each other is by coming close to him. The second level I think this works at is, is, is I want to be a part of a church where we recognize our, world, our role as Christians is not just to be forgiven for uh, forgiveness sake, but, but to live as God's partners in, in the redemption of the world. Uh, what if you began to see your job, your coworkers, your family, your relationships, the way you spend your time and your money in light of God's purposes for the world? What if we really sought to bring uh, God's peace, His fullness into the daily moments of our lives? What if we sought to commune and, and converse with Him? What if we just praised Him and conversed with Him throughout our day? This is the fullness of life that Jesus promises us in John 10.10. It's not just that we'll know forgiveness, it's that we'll know what it means to be God's partners, uh, to, to rule with Him uh, in light of His good, good creation. God is inviting us to heal neighborhoods, to heal cities, to heal homes and families with His shalom, His peace. But it only starts not just when we know forgiveness, but when we know that God has inaugurated a new day, a new creation, where we participate with Him, much like we were supposed to in Genesis 2. The world is beautiful and good, and it is working towards something, something beautiful and good. I want to end with this quote from N.T. Wright. It says, The point of the resurrection, what you do in the present, by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether, as the hymn, I'll Fly Away, so mistakenly puts it. But they are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. May we live in light of God's kingdom, in light of His purpose, in light of His forgiveness, in light of His wholeness. May Jesus be King of the daily moments of our lives. Grace and peace to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.